0: Welcome back, one and all, to the Unknown Friends Podcast for our second episode of Season 3. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and if you would take just a moment at the end of the episode, I'd appreciate it so much if you would leave a quick review or just a star rating to let others know that you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much. Now, as I announced two weeks ago in episode one, season three is going to be a season of trilogies on Unknown Friends, and our first trilogy of the year is Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lavransdatter*, Daughter, comprising the three books, The Wreath, The Wife, and The Cross. Now, first, an important note, if you have not yet heard episode one of the season, definitely go back and give it a listen before you continue with this episode because in it, not only did I introduce Season 3 as a whole, but I also shared an overview of the author secret Unset's life, some details about the style and structure of her trilogy Kristen Lovren's Daughter, and a quick look at the plot and characters of Book 1, The Wreath. So today, we will be moving forward and focusing on the second book, The Wife, and I will discuss its storyline which, I'm sorry, will necessitate some spoilers from book one, and I will then be diving pretty deep into some of the themes of this trilogy. So let's jump right in, because there is lots to discuss. I think I mentioned last episode that the entire trilogy as an audiobook is 45 hours long, and it's over 1,000, no, over 1,100 pages in print. So, book one, of course, depicts Kristen's life as a girl growing up at home with her parents and younger sisters in a place called Jorngard. And eventually it describes her betrothal to a young man named Simon, and the book concludes with her marriage, but not to Simon. So if you haven't read the book yet. I apologize, but I do have to spoil its main plot points because we can't talk about what follows in book two otherwise. So what occurs in the second half of book one is that Kristen becomes less and less satisfied with the prospect of marrying Simon. She asks to leave home temporarily and spend a year in a convent before committing to marriage. So Christian's father, Lavrans, allows this, and Christian spends one full year away from her family. And during that year, she meets Erland Nikolausen. He is a few years older than she is. He's handsome, and he very quickly sweeps her off her feet in a terrible way. The long and short of it is Erland seduces her, and she gives herself to him entirely. And remember, she's literally living in a convent at this time, and she's betrothed to another man, an honorable man. But Kristen surprises even herself by how easily she throws all that off and secretly commits herself, body and soul, to Erland, this man she truly knows so little about. And what she does know of him is not good. So, without going into all the details, which you can read for yourself, they hide the extent of their relationship, although Simon, Kristen's betrothed, discovers it, but he keeps it quiet out of a desire to protect Kristen's parents from the shame the truth would bring upon them. But Simon does speak with Lavrans, Kristen's father, about ending their betrothal, of course, And then Erland eventually speaks to Lavrans about wanting to marry Kristen. Lavrans does not approve at first, knowing just enough about Erland Nikolausen not to trust him or like him very much, although Lavrans has no idea he and Kristen are already in a relationship. But in the end, Erland and Kristen win, and Lavrans consents to their marriage. Now, Interestingly, as soon as their betrothal is official, Kristen is surprised to find that she starts feeling a little differently about Erland. Somehow, um, the privacy of their relationship made her feel closer to him. And now that they're planning a wedding, she actually doesn't feel as close to him. Interesting. Now, the other issue is that she realizes a couple months before the wedding that she is pregnant, and she fears that her parents will find out and she'll disgrace them. So she does not tell anyone, not even Erland. And keeping this secret from him also contributes to the distance Kristen starts to feel from him. These are just a couple little examples of how well secret incest. Understands human behavior and the things that affect how we think and feel. Anyway, in the end, Kristen and Erlen marry, and while there is a sense of relief when they're finally married at the end of book one, there is also this sense of heartache as the book concludes. It's quite clear that this marriage is going to have lots of problems. And even though Kristen has successfully hidden her pregnancy up to this point, of course the truth is going to come out when the baby is born in a few months, and Erland and Kristen will never completely escape the guilt they share in how their relationship progressed before marriage. The book closes, interestingly, not with Erland and Kristen, but with Kristen's parents after the wedding runs and his wife, Ronfred. And even though they don't know what all has gone on, they know things aren't right with Kristen. And so there's kind of a, there's a bitter taste in their mouths as they send their daughter off with this man whom they neither trust nor respect. And that is where book one, The Wreath, ends. Clearly, this is not a trilogy in which you could stop reading after the first book. The three volumes are very much necessary to each other, as they tell the one continuous story of Kristen's life. So in book two, Sigrid Unset proceeds to portray Kristen's life as Erland's wife and the mother of his children. The book covers about the next 15 years or so. Kristen moves north with her husband to become the mistress of Erlund's estate at Husabee, and in time she ends up being a good homemaker and manager of this estate which had been kind of a mess before she arrived. And quite soon, of course, she becomes a mother, and with that comes both fear and joy, and the birth of her first son, Nakva, brings some shame on her as well, because of its timing, but people mostly forget about this after a few years. Kristen and Erland eventually have seven sons, and book two chronicles their family life on the estate of Husaby, and Kristen's experience as a mother of young children. This second book in the trilogy also gets a little bit into the politics of the time and Erlan's involvement in some political intrigue. I found the politics to be a little confusing at times, so if you read the book, just do your best to pay as close attention as you can to details, but also I would say don't worry too terribly much about following all the ins and outs. The most important part is how the politics affect the characters' personal lives. Now, I will also warn you, while I'm thinking of it, that some characters share the same or very similar first names, which can also get a bit confusing. This is partially because most younger characters, like Kristen's sons, often get named after grandfathers or other relatives, And then some characters just happen to have similar names. For instance, of course, Erland is a main character, but another decently important character we meet in book two is named Erling, and he's actually a real historical figure. So all that to say, um, just look or listen closely as you read to make sure you're keeping track of the differences between characters like Erland and Erling and others. So in book two, we experience the ups and downs of Erland and Kristen's marriage. We watch them become parents. We watch them serve as leaders in their community in various ways. And we also keep sight of Kristen as a daughter as well. Her parents, Lavrans and Ronfred, begin feeling their age and Lavrans's health begins failing. and. Kristen's relationship with her parents changes over time. Of course, living at a distance, she loses touch with the details of her parents' lives. But when she is able to visit them, she also gains a new appreciation for them, now that she knows what it's like to be a parent herself. And throughout the book, we're also getting to know other characters better as well, we learn a lot more about Erland, and we also meet his brother, Gunolf, who is a priest. We eventually get to know Erland and Kristen's children, and we also meet Kristen's two stepchildren, Orm and Margaret. Erland was never married before he married Kristen, but he did have a mistress for several years, by whom he had had these two children before he met Kristen. And they complicate Erlund and Kristen's marriage somewhat, although probably not in the ways you'd expect. And in addition to all these characters, we never quite lose sight of Simon Dare, the man to whom Kristen had first been betrothed. He reappears in the story in unexpected ways, and we're given some opportunities to look into his heart and mind pretty closely, and he ends up being quite an important person in the story and in Kristen's life. So all in all, book two of the Kristen Lovren's Daughter Trilogy allows us to observe Kristen and her many relationships as she and they change over time. Secret Unset gives us a lot of character development in these pages, including some extremely vulnerable moments with many different characters. And ultimately, we begin to see how life works on people over time. How choices have difficult consequences, how people's emotions ebb and flow, how we all affect one another, and how we can or cannot move beyond the past. Of course, further character development awaits us in Book 3, but we begin to understand these people's souls over the course of Book 2. So to put all this in terms of some of the themes Secret Inset explores, first of all, one important issue she considers is culpability. When something goes wrong when someone sins, is it ever only one person's fault? Isn't it true that our lives are inextricably intertwined, and I am constantly influencing others and being influenced by the choices of people around me? But then that said, can I ever really blame someone else for a choice that I make? Sigrid Unset displays this tension in life between personal responsibility and interpersonal influence. Ultimately, we should not place responsibility for our own actions on other people, even though we were probably influenced by others when we took those actions. And yet, at the same time, we should personally step up to the plate and accept responsibility for how we are influencing others. That's not easy to do. As human beings, it's far easier to blame others, especially when it's true that they did play a role in affecting our choices. But the most mature, the most honorable, the most humble thing to do is to refrain from that kind of blaming, to assume responsibility, and to forgive others whatever part they might have had. But that's hard, and most of the characters in Kristin Laverne's Daughter are not capable of doing this, at least not yet. And then on a related note, there is the issue of consequences. Choices and consequences are themes that run deeply through this trilogy. But, as I've said, Sigurd Unset does not portray consequences in the way you might expect. So many stories feature a promising young heroine who loses her virtue, and from that point on, her life just descends into an inevitable, tragic end. Probably suicide, maybe accidental death by drug overdose. Kristen Laferen's daughter says itself, completely apart from that cliche, thankfully. I mean, I I suppose there's a place for that sort of story, but that particular cliche, I think, has some serious problems. It tends to portray sexual sin as sort of the worst of all sins, or at least portrays it as a kind of sin that one can't really recover from, which is so completely untrue. Yes, there are consequences, as there are for any kind of sin, but tragic death does not have to be one of them. So Sigrid Unset shows consequences, but she's not a romantic, nor is she a tragedian, but she's a realist. She shows the real, sometimes mundane, sometimes surprising consequences of sin. Kristen has bound herself for life to a proud, fiery, irresponsible man, and so their marriage is, of course, as a consequence, full of tension and disagreements and resentment. They disagree about parenting, they disagree about in-laws, they disagree about lots of things. But they do actually try to make the marriage work most of the time. And they try to make amends for past sins sometimes. They're not monsters. They're human. Even Erland has his good traits. And the author does not try to force Kristen into this cliched mold of a doomed, fallen woman. Kristen realizes that she has messed up big time. And she does her best To work with the situation she has gotten herself into and make a better life for herself than might be expected, given the way her marriage began. So I appreciate Sigrid Unset's realism. Yes, there's a bit of drama in this trilogy, but ultimately the author wants to figure out and show us how real people behave in real situations. How they act and why they act that way, and how they deal with what they get in return. So I I explain all this to try to be clear about what I mean when I talk about the themes of sin and its consequences in Kristen Lovren's Daughter. Sigrid Unset actually said once that Kristen's central problem is not her fall in Book 1, her relationship with Erland before they were married, her deepest problem, according to the author, is pride. She, um, she's pretty determined to get what she wants, even if it causes others to suffer. You could almost say that the worst part of Kristen's actions in Book 1 was her disregard for her parents during the whole sequence of events. Her disregard for what they believed and what they'd taught her, her disregard for their honor and reputation, and her disregard for what they would think and feel if they knew what she was doing. Yes, there's a lot of pride in Kristen's heart, which she doesn't even realize for a long time. There's a fascinating moment late in the first book when Kristen is already looking back at some of her choices, and she says this, I've done many things that I thought I would never dare to do because they were sins. But I didn't realize then that the consequence of sin is that you have to trample on other people. If Sigrid Unset reveals anything about sin and its consequences, it is this. It's not just the sinner who bears the consequences of their own wrongdoing. Your sin hurts other people. Your sin leads you to hurt other people, to trample on other people. And not only that, but sin has a way of repeating itself. Not only does each individual face the temptation to repeat his or her previous sins, but we can so easily lead others into our sins too, without even intending to, often. There's an interesting uh, generational parallel that happens in Kristin Lovren's Daughter. I won't spoil details of the story by going into what specifically happens, but you can't miss it as you read through the second book. It is All too easy for each generation to repeat the wrongs of the previous generation. But all this sounds pretty dark, and and Kristen Laverne's daughter is not all dark. I've got to talk about Kristen's parents for a moment. Absolutely intriguing people, with an intriguing relationship. Theirs is another marriage that has not been easy, but it is certainly more peaceful than Kristen and Erlans. Lavrance and Ronfrid are both, I think, admirable characters. They're strong, they're consistent, they're patient, they're industrious, and they're each loving in their own way. But for much of their marriage, they didn't really know how to communicate with each other very well. They didn't fully understand each other. But they lived in peace, they created a secure and principled home in which to raise their children, and they both sought God in their different ways. Especially Lavrons, but Ronfrid too, I think, although she is a reserved character who's difficult to get to know. But the more you see of them in the story, and the deeper you get into their individual psyches and into their relationship the more you respect them. At least that's the experience I had. And I think a fundamental point is that both Lavrons and Ronfred possess the humility which Kristen has yet to learn. They struggle to communicate with each other, but when they do, they can admit when they've been wrong, they seek to understand each other, and they keep growing. That's what's beautiful. In their later years, their relationship just gets closer and closer. And that's remarkable. So if you're reading this trilogy and you struggle to sympathize with or respect Kristen and Erland, focus on Lavruns and Ronfrid. They get more and more sympathetic and admirable as the story goes on. And they are proof, I think, that Sigurd Unset has a vision for redemption. Because they have sinned too, as everyone has. They have had to seek forgiveness from God and from each other. But there is a path to true peace. It's the path to God. It may lead through suffering and the consequences of sin, and it may lead through some earthly joys as well. But ultimately, any sinner who seeks God will find him. And in him will find redemption, and peace. And Lovrens and Ronfrid are evidence of that. And so this is what I want to bring us to here at the end of the episode. Remember that Sigrid Unset was experiencing a crisis of faith as she was writing this trilogy, and her character Kristen kind of experiences the same thing. Of course, we're not talking about book three yet today, and so we have not reached the end of Kristen's journey yet. But there are already moments in her life and people in her life who are pointing Kristen to God as the one and only answer to her hardships and her guilt and her longings and her struggle to be a better person and make a good life for herself. But in book two, she is still trying to achieve this by seeking what she wants. And sometimes she wants good things, but if she wants them and not God, she's not going to be happy. There's an amazing conversation at one point in book two with a quote that I had to write down as soon as I heard it, and I want to share it with you as well. A priest urges Kristen, You cannot settle for anything less than the love that is between God and the soul. And he goes on to say this, All other love is merely a reflection of the heavens in the puddles of a muddy road. You will become sullied, too, if you allow yourself to sink into it. But if you always remember that it's a reflection of the light from that other home, then you will rejoice at its beauty And take good care that you do not destroy it by churning up the mire at the bottom. So there is a lot to love about life. People to love, experiences to enjoy, places to invest in. But they are all imperfect. And if we sink into these things and forget the source, the love which all other loves can only imitate, will actually lose even the goodness of these earthly beauties. We'll destroy them if we seek them alone. We must not settle for anything less than the love that is between God and the soul. Kristen, unfortunately, hasn't fully learned this by the end of book two. But there is still all 400 and some pages of book three remaining, and so there is still hope for her to find what she's seeking before her story is over. So I will conclude today's discussion here, and we'll talk all about the third book, The Cross, in our next episode two weeks from today. I hope it has been helpful to have a few of the themes of Kristen Laverne's daughter laid out briefly in this episode. There is, of course, so much more, you could say. But I think even if you're not reading the trilogy along with me, or you haven't read it before, you can probably sense how layered the story is, how complex the characters are. And I so appreciate the attention Sigurd Unset gives to each one, not just Kristen and Erland, but also Lavrons and Ronfred, and Simon, and Erland's brother Gunolf, and many others. The author is clearly drawing from real-life experience and the real people she has observed, and she cares about each of her characters enough that she spends time with each one, trying to fathom their loves and fears. And ultimately, this creates a deeply realistic story that I think has the power to affect a reader's life in a transformative way. So if you're reading along with me, keep reading. It's a long story, but worth it. And if you're still on the fence about whether to read Kristen Lovren's Daughter, I again encourage you to give it a chance if you are an adult reader, of course, as I clarified in last week's episode. And don't just take my word for it. Remember, this was Elizabeth Elliot's favorite novel, and if she's not trustworthy, I don't know who is. So that is it for today. Quick reminder for patrons, I hope you saw my post last week on Patreon about choosing your free book from season two. If you are a $12 a month patron, you can pick any book I reviewed last year on the podcast and I will send you a copy of it for free in the mail, but I need to know your book choice first. So please, this week, shoot me a quick message by email or on Facebook or Instagram and just let me know what book from season two you would like a copy of and I'll order it and send it your way. And to all my listeners, remember that free books are only one benefit you can get by becoming a patron of the Unknown Friends podcast. You can learn more about accessing patron-exclusive bonus content at patreon.com slash unknown friends. Another perk, of course, is that patrons get access to a full bonus book review episode every four weeks. And the first one of the season is coming out next week. Wednesday, January 26th, so patrons, watch for that bonus episode to pop up in your Patreon episodes podcast feed next Wednesday. As always, I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and you can learn more about me and my writing at my website, kittywhamproductions.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and come back in two weeks for our discussion of The Cross, the final book in this trilogy.